0: From Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries, this is the Gary Talks About God podcast. Take your Bibles and turn to John 15. John 15. And this morning we are looking at sacrificial love from John 15 and the comment I made about Alano's a little tongue-in-cheek because as I was writing the sermon and, and putting it together, I tried to find a story, something that just kind of hooks into the sermon. And, and so the obvious question then was, what's the greatest sacrifice that you've ever made? And I was thinking, I, I, yeah, exactly. See, I don't even have to explain the rest of it before people start to laugh and, and, and understand why that's a difficult and um, challenging question to ask. Because as soon as it comes to mind, as soon as you share it, you kind of become a I, I, don't, I don't know, <laughs> kind of braggy, like, hey, look at what I did and look at how great I am. And so that was the running joke that, or the joke that crossed my mind this morning. I could tell you all the great ways that I have sacrificed for Atlanta and all the wonderful things that I have done for her and how appreciative she is of them this morning, because she's not here, uh, knowing full well that it's probably the opposite. But it's, it's, it's a hard question, Right. Because cause it, it does have that, it, it does become braggy really quickly. But at the, it does. <laughs> I, was, I was like, would you like to share, Greg? Uh, it, it becomes braggy really quickly. However, there, there, that is a good question to ask. Because each and every one of you here this morning have made sacrifices. Some of them small. I mean, we've made the whole gamut, right? We've made small sacrifices. We've made large sacrifices. We've probably made great sacrifices in our life to those around us, for our family, for our spouses, for our children, for our friends. We have sacrificed. But it's hard when you ask the question, what is the greatest sacrifice that you've ever made? Because immediately, there's usually one thought when we think about a great sacrifice. Our minds usually gravitate to the stories that involve one person laying down their life for someone else. Because we recognize that that indeed is an incredible sacrifice. When we come to John 15 verses 12 through 17, that's what we're going to be directed to we're going to be directed to Jesus' sacrificial love that ends up with with Him laying down His life for us. And we'll read one of the most well-known passages of Scripture about how that is a great demonstration of love. At the same time, in these verses, there are some imperatives that Jesus' sacrificial love drives us to do. So let's read verses 12 through 17 and then notice those imperatives this morning. And and real quick, before we we get started, let me remind you that in, in these next three chapters from the end of John 14 all the way through John 17, this is Jesus speaking to the 11 disciples. No one else is present. This is not Jesus teaching publicly. This is not Jesus sitting on a hillside as people are walking by, can hear. This is not Jesus in the temple. This is Jesus and the disciples. And that's going to be really important, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Verse 12, Jesus is speaking. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This morning, firstly, I want you to notice Jesus' sacrificial love commands us to love. Jesus' sacrificial love commands us to love. Now, we've heard this already, have we not? Right? We heard this in John 13, verse 34, when Jesus is speaking. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So here he says it again. This is my commandment, that you love one another. And I know that some of you may be thinking, well, I don't need to be told twice. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're hard-headed. We're, we're stubborn folks. We we really are. Last night, and and uh, we were sitting around the table, and and, and Chip's uh, girlfriend came by to check on him because she was concerned about him, and, and she was having dinner with us. And I just made a comment, you know, about the stubbornness that runs through our family from uh, Atlanta's side. It, it does not come through the Sanders side at all. Um, but you you know, we're a stubborn people we're hard-headed. We need to be told things more than once. And I find it amazing that one of the things that we are told more than once from Jesus' own lips, this new command that I give you, and then here again, he says, love one another. You would think that it would be easy to love, would you not? Now, again, the reason I say this is important that, that it's, it's disciples is, is because this love one another is not love of the world. This is not love the lost. This is not love those outside of the community. This, this is love believers. And you go, well, that ought to be easy. It ought to be really easy for Debbie to love me. It ought to be really easy for me to love Debbie. It ought to be really easy for for Julie to love Greg and Greg to love Jill. This ought to be easy, right? But it's not at times. It's it's hard. And so Jesus looks at the disciples and is looking at us this morning and saying, Look, this is is my command, that, that you love one another. And if you read that verse very carefully, something happens. He uses love twice in that sentence, does he not? He says, You are to love one another... But then there's a difference. He says, as I have, what? Loved you. He changes the tenses. He goes from love to loved, And that change is important. When Jesus says that I have loved you, we read it in the past tense and our minds think, okay, what has happened in, in the life of Jesus with the disciples that he has demonstrated his love towards them? And so we, we flip back and we go, oh, there was the foot washing. Or, or we flip back and we go, look at all the I am statements and He provided bread. That's pretty cool. How about the teachings? Jesus has demonstrated their love. How about Lazarus? That was a way He demonstrated His love for Mary and Martha. And so we, we want to go backwards because it's in past tense to find the action. And if we do that, we miss the action. Because the action isn't in the past. The action is in the future. And once again, John is drawing us to the cross. I mean, this is how John opens the gospel, right? That the, he came, Jesus has, has come, been sent by God to redeem his people. John has the cross in mind from the very opening of his gospel. And he keeps pointing to it and he keeps pointing to it. And many times he does it in the past tense because it is so certain that it is going to happen. The cross is never in question. Right. Sometimes we get into these these ivory tower theological debates that that I just I'm like, okay, I guess there's there's some good in them, right? Y'all probably heard that. Well, could could Jesus have sinned? Would Jesus have sinned? You know, was it possible for him to sin? According to John's gospel, no. There was never a question in John writing his gospel of whether or not Jesus would disqualify himself from going to the cross. It was a completed action even before it actually occurred. And Jesus says, this is the dem- the, the, the love that I have for you. All right? and, and there's the Bible verse that we know and that we've quoted. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We know that verse. And the reason I said this is important to remember that as disciples some will go, well, well, what about his enemies? He, in the context, that, that question doesn't make sense. He's talking to his friends. We have Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, yet Christ died for us. We have that. That's not what he's talking about right now. Right now, he's talking to the disciples He's talking to us. Greater love is is this, that he lays down for his life for his friends. How much does Jesus love you this morning? He laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for me. And as a believer, we can never get over this truth. Every time we read that, we ought to just be filled with awe and wonder. Every single time. Y'all, y'all know, I've, I've shared this many times with you, that, that my journey to being a pastor started off through aerospace engineering. I know, it's a, it's a, unique, it's a unique path. Not, not many start that way, but mine did. And, and I, I still love all things space. I, I really do. And whether you like him or hate him, I don't care. Elon Musk and SpaceX is the cutting edge of space technology right now. He is. And every time SpaceX has a launch and they launch Falcon Heavy into orbit... I watch it and it is like the very first time I've ever seen it. It just it just still that that little boy in me that wanted to build rockets just comes out. I'm just I'm just oh that's so amazing. That is that is so cool. Every time we read about Jesus love for us, that he loved us and had greater love that that he laid down his life for us for his friends. That's the type of wonder and awe that we should be filled with. Every time. We can never ever lose that wonder. And part of the reason we can never lose that wonder is because in the sacrificial love that Jesus displayed to us is where we find our command to love one another. His love is a completed action. Our love is an ongoing action. We have to love one another every single day. And it is what marks us as a believer. What marks McDonald's as a McDonald's? The big golden arches. What marks somebody being in the armed services? Their uniform. There are so many marks that when we see it, we know exactly what that building or what that person is marked for. When it comes to a believer, it's not that obvious. It's not stamped on our forehead. What marks us as a believer is that we love one another. And yes, our actions should demonstrate that. That we love one another. And understand, it doesn't have to be extraordinary actions, right? I mean, so often... That's, that's what we want, right? We, we, think of, we think of those big actions of love about what, what you did, right? Going back to the question, what's your greatest sacrifice? This is the sacrifice that I made, the demonstration of, of love. But it, it doesn't have to be that big. Right? Here, here are just some really simple ways that, that we can demonstrate that love. Be a good listener. Just listen. Just, just, just listen. How about this one? Ask good questions. And you go, well, Gary, why, why is that a, a way of, of demonstrating love? Because it shows that you listened. And you know what question to ask. Don't be afraid of the emotional. Right? Too, too often we're afraid of the emotional. When you go up to someone and you know that they're struggling with something and, and you ask them, hey, how are you handling this? Listen to the answer. Don't be afraid of the answer. Because depending on the situation and what's going on, the answer is going to be hard to listen to. But demonstrate your love by, by listening. Pray for them. Keep praying for them. Check in on them. How about this one? When prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something for a believer, just do it. Well, I ought to call call that person and check on them. Well, I'll do it. No, just do it then. Do it in that moment. None of that sounds incredibly difficult, does it? Those are simple, easy ways that we demonstrate to one another that, that we belong to Christ. And you know what's really, again, interesting about that mark is if you do things like that, again, simple things, easy things. That's what the world wants. That's what the world needs. They don't need the next, latest, greatest computer technology. Because Jesus says what's going to mark us as the believer and what the world is going to see is that we love one another and they're going to see something in that love. Me loving on Debbie, Debbie loving on me, Julie loving on Greg, Greg loving on Julie. They're, They're going to look at this and look at how we as a body of believers love on one another and take care of one another. And they're going to look at that and go, you know what? I don't find that in the world because the world can't give it to them. Because the world doesn't say the greatest love is is that you lay down your life for someone. The world says the greatest love you have is you do whatever you want to. And you love yourself more than anybody else. And while it sounds great, it's really shallow and it's fleeting. But when we love one another and we demonstrate that to the world, they see what they're missing. And that speaks volumes to the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. So Jesus' sacrificial love commands us to love one another. Secondly, Jesus' sacrificial love designates us as friends. Jesus introduces a new term to describe his, describe believers. He calls us friends. And he makes his case in a very interesting way. Look at how he makes his case. He says in verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you, right? You are my friends if you do what I command you. Keep my commandments because you are my friends. You're no longer slaves. And so what we need to understand is this obedience to Jesus' commandments is what characterizes us as friends. It's not a slave. We're not, we're not and, and again, there are other scriptures that says we are servants and slaves to Christ, but remember where we are in the context, and you ask the question, what is, what is the difference? What's the difference between a slave and a friend? Well, the difference is, is really easy. On a, a slave has... They have no communication with the master. They're not privy to any insights. They are just obey and do what you have been told. Right, it would be like the president of the company you're working for, and you're just, you're a new person in on the job, and the president comes in and just says, hey, I need you to do this. Your job at that moment is not to look at the president of the company and go, well, let's discuss this. Could you please tell me in your five-year strategy to advance company goals how you're going to get there by me performing this job? No. Your job is to do it. No questions asked. No, let's discuss strategy and philosophy. Just do it. You don't need to know what I'm thinking. I need you to do it and tell me that it's completed. As a slave, that was what they were supposed to do. The difference is a friend knows the why behind the command. That's what Jesus says. Look, he says, look, I don't call you servants in verse 15 because the servant does not know what his master is doing. I call your friends for I have heard from my father and I've made it known to you. Here's Jesus saying, you're my friend because I know why the father has sent me. I know why I'm here. And instead of hiding that from you, I'm telling you why he sent me. I'm telling you the deep thoughts of God. I'm telling you what the mission is. I'm telling you how I'm going to use you. I'm telling you about the rewards. I am bringing you into my confidence so that you know why this is happening. And that's the difference between being a slave and being a friend. When you go back to the Old Testament... You can see that Abraham was called a friend of God and and Moses was called a friend of God, but the rest of the covenant community was not, right? How did the rest of Israel know what God said? God, who calls Moses his friends, speaks to Moses and Moses then goes and tells the people. God didn't tell the people. He didn't say, all right, this is what we're going to do. All right, God didn't just show up and say, All right, guys, for the next 40 years, here's the plan. Here's why I'm thinking this. Here's what we're doing. Moses and Abraham had an intimacy with, a, with God that the other people, part of the covenant, did not. However, we're on this side of the cross. And as being on this side of the cross, the fact that we have practical knowledge of the outworking of of God's will and what He is doing is part of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, verse 34. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know Yahweh, for they shall all know me. And one aspect of knowing God under the new covenant is we know His plans and we know His purposes. Right, Jesus says he's going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to reveal to us all things so that we will know. He will teach you all things. He will teach you and bring things to remembrance all that I have had to you. Because we're friends. He's going to show us. He's going to tell us. He's going to let us know what is happening. We know the bigger picture. But there is a a. a a warning or a caveat that we need to put here. Because this is not mutual friendship that we think of today, right? It's really not. Today's mutual friendship is I call you and and talk to you and tell you what's going on in my life. You tell me what's going on in my life and maybe we collaborate together and we work together and we come up with some plan to do something. That's kind of how we think of, of mutual friendship. That's not what We're talking about here. Because it's important to remember that Moses is a friend of God, God is not a friend of Moses. And while Jesus calls Lazarus his friend, Jesus is not called Lazarus his friend. It's it's a small but critical difference. Because even though we are friends, Even though Jesus calls us and takes us into his confidence, he he retains absolute authority over our lives. He is still Lord. And I know this is one of those things where we have to, as believers, sometimes we have to hold two truths in tension. And we can hold the friendship, us being called the friends, in tension with the fact that he is our Lord. It doesn't negate that. We're still bound to obey His commands. However, now we are able to obey with a greater knowledge of information than people before. We are able to obey God now on a greater level and a greater understanding than the people of the Old Testament because Jesus says we are His friends. He's going to tell us. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to reveal that to us. We know so much more. Peter puts it this way. Peter has an interesting way of putting it. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be your search and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You read that verse and Peter brings in the prophets. He brings in the angels and it says it was revealed to them that they were serving. Listen to this. The prophets weren't serving them. They were serving us. So that that things that had not yet been announced to them, that they didn't know, they didn't understand, is announced to us. And now through the Holy Spirit, we understand. We have a greater understanding and clarity of who God is, of what His mission is, how He's going to use us, what's going on, than anyone in the Old Testament did. We have a greater knowledge. Because Jesus says, no longer are you slaves. You are now my friends. But then lastly this morning, Jesus' sacrificial love compels us to evangelize. Compels us to evangelize. You know, being called a friend of Jesus is quite a statement, right? I mean, who would you like for everybody to know that you're a friend of? I mean, if you could have, you know, just whoever's alive today, if you could have one number on your cell phone, right of somebody else's cell phone so that when you were, you know, looking and talking to somebody, go, hey, you want to know who my friend is? Look at this. And, and, and you get out your, your cell phone and, and, and you, you scroll up and you go, hey, look right there. You see that says Tom Brady, you know, or, 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 or you keep scrolling up and you go, look, you see that right there? It says Barry West, you know, you know, you, you, keep, you keep scrolling up. Who, who would you want on your cell phone right now so that the world would know that you were their friend? right? That's kind of, that's an interesting question to ask, right? Because we know if, 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 if we have them as their friends, you know, that's going to lead us to some extra benefits, you know, depending on who it is. It might be a Super Bowl ticket or a concert ticket or, or, or something, right? So in that moment becomes your friend, you kind of get, kind of puffs you off a little bit, right? You know, this is is my friend. Not your friend. This is my friend. So as Jesus is talking to the disciples, that same thing could happen. That's why he says in verse 16, look at what he says in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me. So let's think about the disciples, right? Let's think about uh, Peter and Simon and, and John and James, what were they doing when Jesus found them? Were they searching for Jesus? Were they looking for Jesus? They, they, they were just fishing, right? I imagine that Matthew was probably somewhere sorting somebody's you know, extra taxes out of them so Matthew could you know, pad his, his, his pocket a little bit. One is called a zealot. You know, it could have been that that there were zealots at this time who were looking to overthrow Rome. Perhaps he was out there planning, you know, maybe if we launch this attack. You know, they, they weren't out there looking for Jesus. Jesus found them and chose them. Now, this is also upside down from how it worked if you wanted to study under a Pharisee. It's, it's much like today, right? If you want to study under uh, someone to get your Ph.D., or you, you seek out the, the professor to study under. The professor doesn't seek you out. He doesn't need you. He's already got his or she already has her Ph.D. They don't, they don't need you, but you want to learn from them, so you seek them out. Well, the same thing happened back then. There were a lot of rabbis. And you sought out the rabbi, and and the rabbi would just be in the temple preaching to his disciples, and you would seek him out and go, hey, you know, I, I would like to study underneath you. And Jesus says, look, I want you to understand something. You didn't come to me and choose me. I chose you. I took the initiative to choose you and to find you and to call you to me. He says, so I want you to understand, as I chose you, he says, then I appointed you. He chose them for a reason. He chose me and he chose you for a reason. And that is, he appointed us. He set us apart for a specific task. And look at what the task is. He says that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Now, last week, we talked about bearing fruit, right? Talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, faithfulness, or gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? We talked about that. We talked about the ways that we bear fruit. However, this right here has a little bit of a different sound to it, does it not? I've appointed you that you should what? Go and bear fruit. Now, bearing fruit is attached to an imperative to go. And when you hear that, your, your mind should immediately go where? It should immediately go to the Great Commission, right? It should immediately go to Matthew 28 because you can just hear the similarities. Matthew 28, uh, middle of verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And here Jesus is saying, go and bear fruit. Go, go make disciples, because the fruit that you're called to go and bear, look again, that your fruit should abide. Disciples who make disciples. Disciples who go out there and invest their lives in the lives of other people so that they will have abiding fruit. And then that disciple goes and does it again. Because the disciple, as we saw last week, is one who is constantly present with Jesus. That's what it means that you should buy bear fruit that, that, that abides, not that fruit. And we've all seen it and it's so painful. We've seen people who, who have that fruit and, and they just, they come and it's like they get, I mean, it's really like they give Jesus a great big bear hug and, and they're really so happy about Jesus. And then you look around a little bit later and they've let go of Jesus and you're like, Where, where'd they go? That's not the type of fruit that we're called to make. We're called to make fruit that abides, that, that is constantly present with Jesus. And this is tied into us being friends, right? Because as friends, we know the mission. As friends, we know the Great Commission. As friends, we know that that Jesus was sent so that he could call believers, or excuse me, call sinners to repentance so that they could become believers. This is part of the mission of the Godhead, right? Peter, again, 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises that as some count slowness, but is patient to you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. So there's a command. There's the heart of the Father. There's the will of God. And as friends, we should desire the same thing because now we know. We don't go just because we're commanded. We go because we know our Savior. We know why He wants us to go. And we go because we want to see the, the kingdom of God grow. We want to see it expand in our midst. And so, what do we do? We pray, right? So that whatever you ask in my name, that He may give to you. So, what what prayer goes with us going and producing fruit? Well, it could be all kinds. God, give us the strength to go. A question in Sunday school this morning. You know, why, why do we not do the things that God has called us to do? Sometimes, and it was fear. God, give me uh, power over the fear, right? What drives out fear in a believer? Y'all know the answer to that, right? It's another four-letter word. Starts with L. Second letter is O. Yeah, love. God, give me, give me, let me feel your perfect love to drive out the fear. Father, show me, show me whose life you're already working in so that I can come and help grow and, and mature and, and cultivate the fruit in their life. Right? If this is what he wishes. This is his desire. He's going to say yes, and he's anointed us to do that. And think about this, right? One of the greatest frustrations that we all have is to be asked to do something that we don't know how to do. And then not be told how to do it. Right? That that's that's it, it, that that's that's frustrating. Right? I got in over my head last week, right? My my weed eater, the, the throttle on the top got stuck. I don't know how to repair weed eaters, right? I know basic maintenance, so I thought, all right, I can I'll take off the handle, I'll see what was wrong, and 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 just, just plop it back in. You know where the story is going, right? Now my weed eater is underneath the house with the handle and all the bolts and the screws sitting beside it, waiting for me to take it to the you know get it get it fixed. So what do we do next? Right? We go to Google. I'm just confident that somewhere on Google there is a tu- a, a video or on YouTube that there's a video that teaches me how to repair the handle on a 30 year old you know weed eater. You know what's not on YouTube, right? I don't I don't know how to do it. I'm not equipped to do it. When Jesus says that I chose you and I anointed you to go, He's not going to leave you in that lurch. He is going to equip you to do what He has called you to do. You don't have to worry. This is, I'm not equipped. I don't know it. Yes, you do. He, he's, he's equipped you. Well, how's He equipped you? <laughs> he gave you the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead you and guide you into all that He has said in remembrance and give you the power that you need to do what He has commanded you to do. And through His sacrificial love, we go to point other people to His sacrificial love so that they will become believers and they will abide in Christ as well. It's all because He loved us. It's all because He sacrificed us. For us, and if we remember that, we're going, be, we're going to go. We're going to live in awe of that, and it's never—we're never going to get over it. I found this quote by David Livingstone. Y'all know who David Livingstone is, right? The explorer, the evangelist, the missionary who went to Africa, died in Africa, and his body was shipped back to England, but his heart was buried there. In Africa. I found this, this quote, this is a longer quote, but I found it really, really helped sum this up. He says People talk of the sacrifice that I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to our God which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward and helpful activity? The consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny, it is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, foregoing the common conveniences of this life, these may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing compared with the glory which shall later be revealed in and through us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which He made who left His Father's throne on high to give Himself for us. If we can look... On the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us through the same lens that that Livingston does and remember that he is the one that made the sacrifice then the imperatives that we find in these verses we're going to go and we're going to do and we're going to fulfill because nothing compares to the sacrifice he made for us on the cross. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for you because that's how much he loved you. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germanton, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website, at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.